I'd like to begin this morning in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. Peter writes here and says, For the eye of the Lord is over the righteous, and his ear is open unto their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against all them that do evil. Peter's actually quoting from Psalms 34 and verse 15. For here David says that the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Oftentimes the word cry is equivalent to the word prayer. It usually shows that the prayer that's being offered is offered to a great deal of uh, diligence and earnestness, you might say, and, and passion. Now, when you read this verse, uh, what do you, I want you to think, what, what do you do think about it? That the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayer. Do we really believe that prayer is profitable and beneficial? Well, I hope that we do. Prayer just doesn't make you feel a little better. I believe it's important that we, especially in this present day in which we're living, I think it's very important that we believe more than we ever have before, that when we pray, when we come before the rich throne of God's grace, there is actually a God in heaven who sees us and his ear is open to our cry and to our prayer. Okay? Let's take Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, for example, the model prayer. We mentioned this briefly last Sunday. The Lord says, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Here is someone talking to the Father. I always enjoyed my talks with my Father as a rule. Unless he asked me something I didn't want to tell him. That happened occasionally. But I've always enjoyed talking to my natural father, but we have the opportunity every day we live to talk to our Heavenly Father. And just think about it. That means you're His child. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now notice there's four things that the Lord taught us in this model prayer that we should ask for. Why would we ask for it if we didn't really think that the Lord would hear us and give it to us? Give us this day our daily bread. Do we really believe that? Do we believe that the food we've already eaten this day, I imagine most of you had breakfast, and you'll, Lord willing, have lunch and maybe a third meal before the day is over. Give us this day our daily bread, not our weekly bread or our monthly or year, but our daily bread every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And then forgive us for our trespasses. Do you feel a need to be forgiven? Did you live a perfect week this past week? Did you live a perfect day yesterday? Uh, has your perfect day already become imperfect at this hour in the morning? Forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Sometimes people trespass against you. What's your response when they ask for forgiveness? The Lord said when you pray, you're asking him to forgive you just exactly like you forgive other people. Lead us not into temptation. That word temptation often means trials, which says, you know, lead us into it. He's just simply saying to lead us away from it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's the other thing. Now, we got a lot of evil around us, always have had in this world in which we live. We live in an evil and wicked world. Deliver us from the evil, for thine is the 
power and the glory and the honor forever and ever. Amen. Now, how many times have you prayed that prayer? Maybe you've been in a circle of friends. Maybe you've been somewhere and they'll close a prayer this way. I know the um, prayer breakfast I used to attend when I was in Florida and, and, and a number of times since then at the Presbyterian Church with Brother Julian Cunningham and his friends at that time. They would always stand and hold hands at the end and recite the Lord's Prayer. How, how often have you done something like that and you recite it and just went on your way? It was just words. But you didn't take time to really consider them, how meaningful they should have been to you. Well, take time when you pray that model prayer and think about what you're asking God to do. The Lord said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, Call upon me, and I will hear thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things. Now, we've got a great and mighty God who can do great and mighty things. He says to Jeremiah, and you know, if you're familiar with life in Jeremiah, Jeremiah spent more time in prison, more time in a dungeon than he did on the outside, it seemed like. He, he lived in a, a period of time in great apostasy as far as Israel was concerned. And he was always, you know, up against a great wall of opposition. But the Lord said, Jeremiah, call upon me and I will hear thee. That's the first thing we need to take notice of. The Lord said, I'll hear you, Jeremiah. And then I'll show you something. I'll show you great and mighty things. Now, in the 33rd Psalm, verse 18, the Lord here says that those that fear him, he would hear them. And those that hope in his mercy... We come to the 34th chapter. In about verses 5 and 6 there, it says, The poor man cried unto the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is very active in heaven, very concerned about his children here on this earth? See, this is an expression of his protective hand. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. It's like the army of, uh, you know, in Elisha's day, the army that God sent. When the enemy's army was like the multitude of horses and chariots, and when the servant of Elisha came to Elisha and expressed his great concern, we find where Elisha prayed for him and asked the Lord to open his eyes. When he did, he opened his eyes. And what did he see there? He saw God's army of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha, which meant that the enemy had to come through God's army to get to Elisha. Now, when we pray these kind of prayers, do we, do we really believe what they say? I want you to really think about it this morning. You know, we need to recognize God's care and his great providence. If I was just going to title what I want to speak to you about this morning, be recognizing, recognizing God's care and his providence in the lives of his children. 1 John 5, 14. John says, this is the confidence that we have in him. Him is God here. And this is the confidence we have in him. Now, what shall we ask? If we ask according to the will of God, we have the petitions we ask of him. I tell you, it's very little to have confidence in here in this world. That's for sure. What's your level of confidence in Congress? What's your level of confidence in the president? What's your level of con uh, confidence in the leaders of the land today? I'd say it's pretty low. 
But John says, this is the confidence we have in him. That what shall we ask of him? He heareth us. If we ask according to his will, which is a very important part of that verse. To ask according to God's will, we have to know what God's will is. If we're going to expect our prayers to be effectual, we need to be asking according to the will of God. If we ask according to the will of God, John says, we know then we have the petitions that we ask of him. What a wonderful promise that is. I'm just giving you a sampling of these things in the Word of God this morning. The 23rd Psalm. How many times have you heard the 23rd Psalm? How many times have you quoted part of all the 23rd Psalm and you just went right through it from top to bottom without stopping and pausing and considering what is he saying? The Lord is my shepherd. And I like to put my name for all those personal pronouns that's in the 23rd Psalm. I like to insert my name. My, you know, this is a personal Psalm. You do the same thing. The Lord is Ronald's shepherd. Ronald shall not want. He maketh Ronald lie down in green pastures. Leadeth Ronald beside the still waters. That's rich, isn't it? Oh, how rich that is. To think that the Lord is Ronald's shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack, I shall not be missing the things I stand in need of. The Lord is Ronald's shepherd. Ronald shall not want. He maketh Ronald lie down in green pasture. Leadeth Ronald beside the still waters. He restores Ronald's soul. My soul needs to be restored pretty often. What about yours? That's a picture of a, of a sheep that has fallen into like a ravine or a ditch or something. And he's kind of on his back with his four feet right straight up. And he's in a situation where he cannot recover himself. He cannot get out of that. If the shepherd doesn't come along, he's just easy prey for the predator. But the shepherd comes along and takes those legs and turns them and gets him and lifts him up out of that. That's what he's talking about when he says, He restoreth my soul. Though Ronald walks through the fire of the shadow of death, Ronald will fear no evil. Why? Because thy rod and thy staff doth comfort me. Thou preparest for Ronald a table, you know, in the midst of mine enemies. He anointeth Ronald's head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just put your name for all those personal pronouns in Psalms 23. And this, that ought to make Psalms 23 come to life. That ought to really make you feel like that when you pray, when you cry, that there's a God in heaven whose ears are open unto your cries. Let's notice what the Lord said to Moses, recorded in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, God has appeared to Moses when he's 80 years old. He spent the last 40 years of his life on the backside of a, of a desert keeping sheep. That's what he's done for 40 years. What a contrast to his first 40 years. First 40 years, he's down in Egypt. He was a son of Pharaoh's daughter. When you read about Moses' life in Hebrews chapter 11, it's pretty incredible. By faith... Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. There's pleasure in sin, but there's consequences to follow. There's pleasures in sin, but at least a condemnation and many problems and things that people would never have to enter into and deal with if they had withdrawn themselves and kept themselves from what other sin might be under consideration. But no mistake about it, there's natural carnal pleasure in sin. 
The man that drinks is happy while he's drinking. The next morning, he's got a booming headache, like a man inside of his brain, uh, you know, beating it like a man beats a drum. Takes him all day just to get back some halfway settled. Oh, but it was worth it. I've, I've seen people take a drink, you know, they take a drink, all kind of facial expression. And then they say, boy, that was good. I, I never understood that. I, I never did understand that. I, I still don't. I, something that puts that kind of look on your face and changes your countenance like that, how in the world can that be good? How in the world could it be? He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God and enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. For he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. Oh, that we might understand and see that today. But let's go to Exodus chapter 3, and the Lord is speaking to Moses. He says unto Moses, I have seen, talking about the nation of Israel, his children that day, the national election, I have seen their affliction, I have heard their cry, and I know their sorrow. I've seen, I've heard, and I know. And I will come down from heaven, and I will bring them up out of the land of Egypt, and bring them into the land of Canaan that flows with milk and honey. Notice, he said, I'll bring them out, and I'll bring them in. Now, to bring them out, he had to deal with the most powerful nation on the earth at that time, the Egyptians. And God did it without the loss of one. Brought the entire nation out. Didn't leave any behind. But to bring them in, he lists six nations that occupied the land of Canaan in that day. For them to occupy that land, for them to possess that land, then the Lord was going to have to drive them out so he could bring them in. He said, I have seen, I have heard, and I know their sorrow. And I'll come down from heaven and do all that. But he's going to use Moses in the process, you see. When God dealt with Jacob, and I got to thinking about this, some of the expressions that people used or men used in, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that showed their real conviction that they believed that their life was guided by God and their life was blessed of God. And without God, they were just nothing. It was pretty amazing. I take a look at Jacob as the Lord dealt with him in Genesis chapter 28. Up to this point, there's no indication in Jacob's life. He ever even looked up to heaven, much less prayed to God. His name means supplanter. His name means trickster. And he supplanted and tricked his father, Isaac, and he given him the birthright that normally had gone to his older brother, Esau. He lied to his father. He deceived his father. He lied numerous times to his father. And finally convinced Isaac that he truly was Esau. And then Isaac pronounced a blessing upon him. Esau wasn't far behind. But Isaac had fled. Esau, when he found out what had happened, became very, very angry with Jacob. His own brother in the flesh. But now he had uh, his eyes on vengeance. And wanted to take the life of Jacob. Jacob is fleeing. He goes out into the wilderness. He lies down that night and puts his head upon those rocks he was using for a pillar. And the Lord appeared unto him in the night. And there was a ladder that reached from earth to heaven. This is one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. This ladder reached from earth right into heaven. And angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. But on top of the ladder up there was the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Jacob. And he said unto Jacob, 
the land in which thou liest, which you're laying on right now, I will give to thee and thy seed. Notice the promise he makes to Jacob. For I am with thee. Key expression in many of the lives of, of God's people. For I am with thee, and I will keep thee, and I will bring thee, and I will not leave thee. Wow, what four wonderful promises. This is the first time in the Bible where we find where God has said, I'll never leave thee. And the Apostle Paul quotes from this hundreds of years down the road in Hebrews chapter 13. Remember verses 4 and 5, Let your life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, that you may boldly say, The Lord is my keeper. You can say that based upon what he has said. And what did he say, Paul? He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you really believe that? Do you believe there's a God in glory who said, I will not leave you. If he will not leave you, that means he must be with you. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. No matter what you're facing in life. And it was first said to Jacob back there in that wilderness experience that he had. Jacob woke up and said, surely the Lord was in this place. <laughs> and I knew it not. That is, when I laid down here this night, when I put my head upon these rocks to, to, for my pillow, I did not know this was the Lord's house. I, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And from that time forth, Jacob was a changed man. Now, you can speak, you can fast forward this little story right on up to the 47th and 8th chapter of the book of Genesis. And you'll find in chapter uh, 48, I believe it is, 47, 48, where Jacob is now talking to his son Joseph. Jacob is now 137 years old. You're at least 70 years down the road from Genesis chapter 28. And here's what he says unto Joseph. He says, for the Lord hath blessed me. In the days of Gerar, he's talking about that experience in Genesis chapter 28. He hadn't forgotten it. That experience he had back there when the Lord came to him, when he was in that wilderness, he was fleeing from the fear of his brother. And the Lord comes to him and makes that great promise unto him. He says, I, will, I am with thee, I will bring thee, I will keep thee, and I will not leave thee until I've done that which I have promised unto thee to do. He hadn't forgot that. He said, the Lord hath blessed me. You know, it's, it's, it's really encouraging when you talk to people, and, and thankfully this has been the response so many times along the way, and somebody will just say, you know, the Lord has just blessed me. I'm so blessed of the Lord. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> you are all blessed of the Lord. I'm blessed of the Lord. But to realize it and recognize it is another thing. Every day, we live, we depend upon the sun shining. And we depend upon, depend upon the rain coming down. And we depend uh, upon the Lord in so many ways for so many things. And yet because the Lord has given us this as a creation, I just have a feeling we kind of take it for granted. The breath of air. Man cannot live without oxygen. Cannot live without the breath of air. God gives it to us. Man cannot live without light. He gives us the great sun to rule the day and the moon, to, the lesser light to rule the night. He's provided for us all along the way, has he not? And Jacob says, the Lord has blessed me. <laughs> the Lord has blessed me. Yes, indeed, Jacob. The Lord has blessed thee. Then a little further in that chapter, he says, the Lord has fed me. 
all the days of my life. Let's think about that just for a moment. Who's fed you for the amount of years you spent here on this earth? <laughs> It'd be a sight to know how much food you've consumed. <laughs> and I've consumed along the way, wouldn't it? Eating three times a day, every day of the week, every month of the year, every year, all the years, total it all up. It'd be quite amazing how the Lord has fed us all the days. Why in the world does the Lord do that? I come to the book of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. He says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and watereth the earth, it gives seed to the soil and bread to the eater. Yes, you get in your car and you go to Kroger slash Publix. Don't want to leave one out, you know, show that I'm prejudiced here. And so you go to one of these two. Of course, I prefer Kroger, Brother David. But anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, you go to these places, you go to Sam's, et cetera, et cetera. You load the cart up, you bring it home, you say, where'd all this food come from? You say, well, it came from Crow, it came from Pub, it came from Sam's. Did it really? Well, where'd they get it from? Where'd they get it from? The Lord says, I'm the one that gave it to you. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and watereth the earth, it does what? It gives seed to the soil and bread to the eater. Without the seed, there is no bread. Without the bread, there is no eater. The Lord hath fed me all the days of my life. You know what the most serious problem we'll have here today, probably when we dismiss? Where are we going to eat? When there's so many people in the world, and their question is, what can we eat? What do we have to eat? And they have to look long and hard to find enough to make a meal. And our main problem is, well, where are we going to go? What are we going to eat today? And as soon as we eat one meal, what's the next question? What, what, for break, what, what are we going to have for lunch? And, and then, what are we going to have for lunch means, what are we going to have for supper? And then about midway in the morning, you, what you're going to have for lunch depends on what you want to have for supper, what you have for supper, and what you have for lunch. And here you go through all this rigmarole trying to figure out what you're going to eat and where you're going to eat it. Boy, we're in bad shape, aren't we? Jacob says, the Lord has fed me all the days of my life. The Lord's the one who's provided my food. A long life's pathway, and that even included a time, my friends, uh, you remember the seven years of famine down the land of Egypt? You know, you go back to the 34th Psalm, by the way, and you're going to find where David says that the king is not saved by his might, and that the, uh, the, uh, the mighty man is not saved by his strength, neither safety in the horses. He said, but I, the Lord, have delivered thee from death itself and even from the famine. There was seven years of famine down the land of Egypt when Joseph was down there and God in his marvelous wisdom and marvelous providence had raised Joseph up to be second in command down there and managed the affairs of the land of Egypt. They'd had seven years of plenty preceding. There's lots of lessons in this. But I'll just tell you this, especially young folks today, a rainy day is always right around the corner. You need to have some resources on the side to back up because a rainy day is right around the corner. I can assure you that. Some people live like there's never going to be a rainy day. Some people live like there's never going to be a breakdown, like there's never going to be a repair, never need for a replacement, etc., etc., etc. If God had not blessed Joseph to use his great wisdom and manage the affairs of Egypt, why? Well, all the Israelites and the Egyptians, the population of the world in that day, my friends, would have perished. But they did not. 
They did not. Jeremiah says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, but let him that glorieth glory in this, and he knoweth and understandeth the Lord. Man likes to glory, and he likes to glory in the things that are meaningless. All the things that were so important that we couldn't believe we could live without. Can you? In the last several months, God has showed us we can live without a lot of things that we didn't think we could live without. Now, I sure don't want to sidetrack into that this morning, but I'll tell you, is that not the truth? Has not God showed us that? Has not God showed us where our real help comes from, where our strength comes from, where our provisions come from in the last several months? Has he not showed you actually can stay at home and enjoy yourself? <laughs> Has he not showed you uh, what contentment can really bring into your life? All the things that people just thought they had to have, they've realized I can get along without it. The Lord had fed me all the days of my life. And then he says unto Joseph, this is the words of Jacob. Once again, he says, and the Lord has showed me thy two sons. That's his grandsons. He didn't even think Joseph was alive. For 17 years, a number of years, Jacob thought Joseph was dead when Joseph was alive. But as far as the feelings Jacob had, the sorrow he had, the heartache that he had, he was just as real as if Joseph had been dead because in his mind and heart, he was dead. Then the Lord blessed Jacob to realize he's not dead to leave where he was at and go down to the land of Egypt. And one of the encouragement th encouraging things God said unto Jacob is, certainly I'll go with you, Jacob. Fear not to go down there. Certainly I'll be with you. And Jacob gathered up everything he says, leave your stuff behind. <laughs> There's a lesson in that. Wish I had time to speak about that a little bit. But all this stuff that we've got, he said, just leave it behind. You know, you ain't going to have to. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, the stuff that we accumulate along the way is incredible, isn't it? Anyway, Jacob left his stuff behind, went down to Egypt, and there he got to see his son Joseph <laughs> that he thought was dead. The Bible says Jacob's heart was revived when he's seen his son. And now he tells Joseph, not only has he blessed me to see your face, Joseph, but he's blessed me to see your two sons, my grandsons. Oh, how the heart of Jacob must have been bursting with joy and happiness. Notice how Jacob gives God the glory. It's God who's blessed me. It's God who hath fed me. It's God who's blessed me to come and see uh, my two grandsons. And the angel, spell with a capital A, says the angel that redeemed me from all evil. It's all about the Lord and Jacob's, Jacob's life. We come to the 39th chapter of Genesis. And you'll find Joseph, we've been talking about just a little bit. We find where Joseph is sold into uh, to slavery by his brothers that envied him and hated him. Put him into that pit, had desires to take his life. But God in his providence miraculously comes along and there come some Ishmaelites and uh, they are going to pay money to get Joseph, not just to release Joseph, they want to make money on Joseph and they buy him and they sell him to, to the Ishmaelites and they take him down to Egypt and they sell him into a man by the name of Potiphar. He's in the house of Potiphar. You'll notice in studying some of these biblical characters, a lot of times there's a certain expression that's unique for them that's not said about other people. It says here in Genesis chapter 39, 
when he's in the household of Potiphar, that the Lord was with him. And the Bible says that Potiphar recognized the Lord was with him and he blessed all the things that his hands touched. And he put him in charge of his household. There was nothing in the household uh, that Judge was not in charge of except for Potiphar himself. You know the story how that Joseph, a man of great integrity, did not submit to the temptation of Potiphar's wife when she tried to get him to commit an adulterous relationship with him or her several times and Joseph always resisted till she finally lied upon him and her husband comes home and she convinces him that it was Joseph making advances on her and Potiphar puts him into prison. Come to the latter part of Genesis chapter 39 and two more times you're going to find the expression and the Lord was with him. Three times we're told in this chapter the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. And what, uh, what happened over there with the keeper of the prison when he saw the Lord was with Joseph? It says, and the Lord showed Joseph mercy and the Lord gave Joseph favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Three things the Lord did for Joseph. He was with him, showed him mercy and brought him into favor with the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison made him head of all the prison. And all the prisoners in that prison, you know there were some wicked and evil people in that prison, but God now has made Joseph not to be on the, uh, the one who just came in and be on the bottom. He's raised him up, and now he's at the top up there and in charge of it all. Because the Lord was with him. Now my point, you know, my emphasis this morning is how important it is for us to recognize the providential blessings of God and that there's a God in glory whose eyes are over the righteous and his ears are open under their cries and his face is against them that do evil. And we need to be praying diligently. We need to be practicing a great degree of neology here this morning and praying diligently and fervently, my friends, for God to be merciful unto us. Joseph winds up getting out of prison. And he's raised up the second command of all the land of Egypt. It's just one of the most incredible things I've ever read about. How in the world this little Jewish lad went from a, being in a pit where he was just moments away from death by the hands of his own brothers in the flesh to now being second command in all the land of Egypt in a relatively short period of time. Reading the life of David. David, picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many different ways. We pick up David as a teenage boy watching over his father's sheep. We found that David started off watching over his sheep. He became a soldier, he became a mighty warrior. Later, he became the king of Israel. And all along the way, David had one encounter after another encounter with the enemy. That's why when you read the psalm, most of those psalms written by David, and most of them had to do with David's experience along the way. We come toward the end of David's life. We come over here to 2 Samuel chapter 8, and you're going to find where the Bible blesses, uh, the Bible uh, speaks about the blessing of God in David's life, how he had been victorious over the Philistines, how he had been victorious over the Syrians, how he had been victorious over the Moabites, etc., etc. And then we have this little expression about, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. The Lord preserved David. I don't read that anywhere else. The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. That is in the Old Testament. 
Come on down a few verses later, about six verses later, the Bible says, And the Lord preserved David and kept him whithersoever he went. Somebody's watching over this boy. I'd say somebody's been watching over this boy a long time. Somebody was watching over this boy when he was just a shepherd. He had a flock of sheep. And a lion came in and got one of the sheep and took it out of there. And David went after him. And David slew the lion and brought the lamb back. The Lord was watching over this boy a long time. And then a bear come along and snatched another lamb out of the flock. Took him away. And David went after him and slew the bear. Got that lamb and brought it back to the flock. Somebody's watching that boy for a long time. And then I read in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel where David goes to check on his brothers out there on the battlefield. And there's a great, great giant by the name of Goliath that represents the Philistines. And he'd issued out the challenge to the, to the Israelites to send the, forth the representative. And they'd do battle, just the two of them. Instead of one army against another army, it'd be him against whoever the Israelites selected. No volunteers until David comes along. David volunteered because he saw that giant as being one who was defiling the name of God, the true and living God, the God of Israel. And we find where David eventually goes out to battle with a sling and five smooth stones in his bag. This is a mismatch, the mismatch of all ages. This is even a greater mismatch than NC State in Houston back in 1983. Those who are familiar with that great story. This is the mismatch of the ages. A little stripling, a little lad going out against a great giant between nine and ten feet tall experiencing warfare, a great sword so heavy the normal average man couldn't even lift it up. And a shield and a spear. David says this to the giant. He says, the Lord shall deliver me out of thy hand this day. Somebody's watching of this boy for a long time. I look back at my own life, and I can tell you this, somebody's been looking over this boy a long time. How about you? The Lord's been looking after me a long time. He'd been looking after David a long time. And the Bible says, God preserved David whithersoever he went. We come to the second, uh, second Samuel chapter 22. And I want to read a passage here because this language is so rich. I wouldn't want us to miss it. Second Samuel chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Kind of interesting, he separates Saul from the general term, all of his enemies. David had a lot of enemies. The Philistines, the Moabites, the Malachites, all those ites and lands in that day were enemies of David. And time and time again, God delivered him in those battles. It's just amazing how many battles David entered into in his lifetime. Every time he went to a battle, there's a possibility of him being killed except for the fact that God's providential hand was upon him and he preserved him whithersoever he went. But there was one enemy in particular, King Saul, who had the resources, 
He had the army. And he did all within the power that he possessed in that day to take the life of this little shepherd boy by the name of David. But he fell time and time and time again. When it looked like that uh, uh, Saul had him right there in his, in, his, in his hand, so to speak. Something out of the ordinary, something miraculous would take place. So Saul is separated out here. These are the words of David, the song they sang to the Lord in the day that he delivered him out of the hand of all of his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, let in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. My high tower, my refuge and savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Now notice the expression. I will call who, David? I will call on the Lord. What will he do? He's worthy to be praised because he'll save me from my enemies. When the waves of death compassed me, the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about the snares of death preventing me. In my distress... I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. And he did hear my voice out of his temple and my cry entered into his ears. What did the text say in the very beginning? The eyes Lord over the righteous and his, cry, their, uh, his ears open unto their prayers and their cries. This is basically what David's saying here. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. He did hear my voice out of his temple and my cry did enter into his ears. Do you really believe that today? Then the earth shook. Notice the response. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wrought. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And he made darkness pavilions round about him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies, though the brightness before him were coals of fire kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning this comforted them. And the channels of the sea appeared. The foundation of the world were discovered, and the rebuking of the Lord, and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. And from them that hated me, they were too strong for me. They were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. You think we have a different God today than David had? <laughs> oh, he's the same God. We got the same God that Jacob had, the same God that Joseph had, the same God that David had. When they cried unto the Lord in their distress, he heard their cry and delivered them. Go to Psalms 107 and you'll find where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It says, the redeemed of the Lord have something to say. It says, in their great distress, in their troubles, they called upon the Lord. 
and the Lord delivered them. Four times in Psalms 107, it says that they cried unto the Lord in their stresses and troubles, and four times it says, and the Lord delivered them, and the Lord uh, took care of them, and the Lord saved them. These verses mean exactly what they say or they don't mean anything at all. If they mean what they say, and I know that they do, and I know you believe that they do, then what power we have that, uh, through prayer, my friends, can be unleashed in this day if we understand these things and truly believe that there's a God in glory, that without Him, that we're nothing. Without Him, we don't have the strength to go forward. When we're out of strength, God becomes our strength. When we're out of courage, God becomes our courage. He's not giving us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power and love and of sound mind. One of the things that's kind of saddened me in this pandemic here is uh, I see from time to time people who become captive to fear. And that doesn't mean we don't take this seriously. We, we should, absolutely. If you don't, you're, then you're not a wise person. That's all I'll say about it. And we have these guidelines, and I believe in following these guidelines personally and as families and as a church. And I believe we need to be cautious and careful and not be reckless and irresponsible in the way that we're living our lives. But my friends, when you've done all the things you know to do, and then you call upon the Lord, and let's have uh, our trust is in the Lord, let's have faith in God that he indeed will be our shield. I pray for you every day. Every day. I try to make a special effort to pray for our family here and to pray for my natural family. I thank God so far. He's been our protection. He's been our shield. And I pray every day, Lord, as you said unto Abraham, I'll be thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And so far, I'm telling you, everything is, we're just so blessed beyond measure. Now, I told somebody the other day, they said, how are you doing? I said, well, so far, so good. He said, well, that reminds me of the man who jumped out the 20-story building. He got down about story number 10 and heard, somebody heard him cry out, so far, so good. <laughs> it's not the flight down that gets you, right? It's the landing. <laughs> so far, so good. But I'm expecting a different landing. I want to go to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Paul the apostle writing to his, this young minister, Timothy, his son in the ministry. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. This man named Alexander, notice a lot of people named Alexander, but the Apostle Paul gets very specific, so Timothy knew exactly who he was talking about. He says, Alexander the coppersmith, and he's done me much evil. He said, the Lord reward him according to his works, which is another thing, just saying, I'm just going to leave him in the hands of God. He said, but Timothy, you beware of him, because he greatly withstood our words. I've ran across an Alexander Coppersmith more than one time in my life. He said, he hath greatly withstood our words. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That's a sad place to be in, isn't it? 
Reminds me of the man in John chapter 5, you know, who had the infirmity for 38 years, and the Lord comes to him, and the angel would come down a certain season, would trouble the water, and the first one into the water would be healed. And in the Lord's conversation with him, here's what the man said. He said, I have no man to put me into the water. Lack of compassion. You don't have to worry about that with the Lord. I have no man. Paul said in my first answer, no man stood with me. All men forsook me. He said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Remind me of Stephen's case in Acts chapter 7. When Stephen's being stoned to death, he looked up and saw heaven open. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus stood for Stephen. And now the Lord is standing with Paul. Yes, all men forsook him. No man stood with him. But God, he says, stood with me and strengthened me. Paul is telling me right here that God gave him something he did not possess within his own self. He did not have the strength to face the enemy. He did not have the strength to, to go uh, in the place he went and, uh, and experience the, the, all the things that happened to him along the way in his gospel ministry. But he says, the Lord was with me. The Lord stood with me. You know, he said, he stood with me and he strengthened me. Whatever Paul needed, whatever area of life and strength he needed, the Lord gave it to him. And he says, he hath delivered me from the mouth of the lion. That's kind of an interesting expression right here because according to biblical record, Paul never had an encounter with a literal lion. So what did he mean? Well, in this day and age, we call when somebody, you know, uh, says something about somebody, they say, well, he just threw him under the bus, right? But in times past, you might have used an expression like this. If you're not careful, I'm going to throw you to the lions. Read Psalm 22, 21. This is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ and the sufferings he went through here in this world. And you read about the sufferings of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but David's going to give you some in Psalm 22 that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John doesn't give you. And in Psalms 22, 21, he makes this prayer. He says, deliver me from the mouth of a lion. I read in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul, Peter says, rather be visibly sober for your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he made of our. Paul said, The Lord deliver me from the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me. Notice these words Paul uses. The Lord stood with me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord delivered me. And the Lord shall deliver me from all evil and shall preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. You say, Brother Lawrence. There did come a time that Paul died, right? Yes. How did he die? The Bible doesn't tell us. History tells us he was beheaded by Nero. But the Lord blessed him and delivered him all evil up to the day the Lord finally decided, it's time for you to just come on home. It's just time for you to come on home. That's the case with every heir of promise, every child of God. There comes a time in your life, it may be early, it may be late, it's just, just time for you to come on home, son. It's time for a homecoming. 
When he says, the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. That does not mean the day will not come, the apostle Paul will not pass away. In fact, Paul understands this in writing this second letter. Uh, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the, the faith. I've finished my course. He knew his time was short here on this earth. It wouldn't be long he'd leave this earth and go right into glory. But he says, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and delivered me from the mouth of the lion. He shall deliver me from every evil work. And he shall preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. There's a heavenly kingdom waiting for you to go right through the doors, my friends. Because there's some things in this life that is worse than death itself. Death can be a friend to the child of God. When death comes, pain ceases. When death comes, there's no more agony. When death comes, there's no more sorrow. When death comes, there's no more trials, tribulations, nakedness, pearls, or sword. When death comes, that's your exodus from this world and your entrance into the glory world. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. And the face of the Lord Against, is against them that do evil. You may not see it to your satisfaction. You may not see it in your lifetime. But that expression, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, means exactly what it says. There's a day of reckoning for the wicked, and the Lord will see to it that they're compensated. Until that time comes, do not forget that the Lord is your shepherd. Do not forget that the Lord's eyes are over you and his ears are open unto your cry.